happens, what happens to the children? So often during that time, they were orphaned. Sometimes they were even abandoned. And sometimes it was just simply because life circumstances were so difficult, they were so tough that it would overwhelm parents. Sometimes it would certainly overwhelm a single parent. And they would find themselves in a situation where they had trouble feeding a child or their children. They had trouble removing them from the harsh climate and conditions of those winters in the north. And so there were many, many children at risk in places like New York City and other northern cities. And so a plan began to come together to help relieve some of this misery and some of this pain. And a place was developed called the Children's Aid Society, and it was developed in New York City. And shortly after that, there was the New York Foundling House or Hospital. And they were trying to do good work with children who were at risk and who were suffering. And from these two organizations came a new idea, a new plan called, nicknamed really, the Orphan Train. And some good things came out of that. But at the same time, many, many cases, there were not so good things that came from that. Some of the children who found homes from the orphan train as they left the northern cities and they spread across the Midwest, even as far down to Texas, uh, a lot of children in the Midwest and Missouri and those areas. Arkansas had quite a few, Oklahoma had some, Texas had some. But from this organization, as they sent those children, some of them found a place where they were loved. But some of them were simply really just slave labor. We would refer to it as indentured servants. Children, think with me, children. Even toddlers and even babies many times were adopted within the paperwork that said they were indentured servants until the age of 21. I have never been an orphan. And I was never abandoned by my parents. But when I hear the stories coming from children who were part of the orphan train, and I hear them now, those few that are left as adults, and I hear their discussion and their description of themselves, perhaps on some level, nothing like those children of the orphan train, but perhaps on some level, we can relate to some of those emotions in varying degrees, obviously, but in different areas of our own lives. Because you have had moments in your life where you were extremely lonely. Me too. I have too. You have had moments in your life where you feel like you were abandoned by someone very, very important to you. Me too. I understand. You have had moments in your life where you experienced fear. We all have. 
Now, if I were looking at my life on a spiritual level, I wouldn't really describe myself as being spiritually abandoned. God has never abandoned me. I wouldn't describe myself as an orphan. For me, spiritually, I would probably have to describe myself more like this. Perhaps a runaway would more accurately describe me spiritually. And that might be most of us if we looked at our lives. Most of us might be able to say on a spiritual level, God might describe me as a runaway. And I think when God looks at our lives, certainly mine, I think he can see that too. But you know, spiritually, God doesn't stop with just describing us as runaways. Actually, from God's perspective, he would also describe us spiritually as orphans, abandoned. Now, certainly not abandoned by God. But God would take it even a step further, I believe. And God would even describe us not just as orphans, not just as abandoned, but he would also describe us as slaves. He would say, slaves to sin. And so we too could be considered indentured servants. And for some... Not just indentured servants, not just slaves to sin, but also slaves to the law in the Old Testament. Now this description of us as orphans and slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to the old law, it finds its beginning all the way back at creation itself. You know, at creation, we've described this in detail many times. At creation, things were perfect. Creation was perfect. But at some point, we don't have a date. We don't have a number of days after creation, so we don't know. But at some point, when it was just Adam and Eve still in the garden, in this perfect creation, they didn't trust God at some point. And in that moment, they trusted themselves more than they trusted God. And they made a choice in that moment, in the garden, in this perfect surrounding, in this perfect setting, they made a choice to live their life on their terms. And God defines that and describes that in his word. He describes it as sin. And that is the moment that very moment that they chose to live life on their own terms, that sin entered into the world. It entered into creation. And in that moment, creation was broken. And in that moment, it also entered into Adam and Eve themselves, into man. And sin did not just become this thing that they did, In that moment, sin actually became part of them. It became part of their genetic makeup at that moment, their DNA. I don't know how that happened, but that's what happened. It entered every single child since then. 
and it started at that moment. The result of this thing that God calls sin was a broken relationship with God, which means in that moment we became orphans, spiritually speaking. Our perfect relationship with our Heavenly Father, we broke it. Adam and Eve started it. We continue it. We have inherited that for ourselves. You want to talk about what we deserve? Well, that's it. It is our inheritance from Adam and Eve. We've got it. And it's brokenness. A broken family. That's our inheritance. Broken people. That is our inheritance. That is us. We've got it. And in that moment, and all through to even today, God's prized possession, His prized creation, which is you, and it is me, His most favored creation, men and women, became spiritual orphans. And now, we are slaves to sin. It's just part of us and part of who we are. If you have ever wondered about why you may not always feel like you have it together, it's because you're broken. So am I. I don't have it all together either. We're broken. That relationship with God was broken. And it led us to become spiritual orphans Slaves to sin. And so, just according to God's plan, God shows up at just the right time to do this. Follow along with me. Cam's going to have it on the screen. It's Galatians chapter 4, two verses, verse 4 and 5. It says this, but when the right time came at just the right time, God sent his son born of a woman, subject to the law. Talking about that old covenant. Verse 5. And God sent him, this is Jesus now, he sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now I just read to you 43 words. And those 43 words are so easy to read because it flows. But do you know what? Those 43 words, those mere 43 words summarize all of God's history, all of God's plan to save his prized creation from self-destruction. Done for us, Paul uses in order to describe what God has done for us. Paul uses this picture of adoption. He says that God sent Jesus to buy our freedom for us. Us who were orphans, who had become slaves to sin. He did this, he bought this freedom so that he could adopt us as his very 
own children. That just blows me away. God. God adopted us. And it was not like those so many unfortunate orphans who were on the orphan train and who many were adopted into bad homes and turned into slaves. No, 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 no. God, the same God who spoke and the world was created of all. God, master of the universe, that God, the Lord of all. God adopted us. And you know what? Just like today, this adoption, it was not free. Paul said that God sent Jesus to buy our freedom. It wasn't free. He sent Jesus to pay for our adoption. It wasn't free. God had to pay for our adoption, and it was, oh, it was oh so costly. We have a tendency, though, to think, well, it's God. Well, I mean, I mean it's God. He, he, he has it all. Isn't he the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills? I mean, don't we say that everything on the earth and in the earth, it, it, it is God's? And it belongs to God. If anybody can afford this price, if anybody can afford it, it would be God. He can. He's got us covered. I mean, it won't really matter to him much because he has it all. The cost? We think, mm, for God? I mean, it's just a drop in a bucket. He's got plenty more. He's got innumerable resources. It's okay. It's God. We think that. But we would be very, very wrong. What did it cost God? Starting all the way back at Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned that very first time, right after sin entered into the world and entered into their lives, when everything broke, God gives us a hint about the cost. And we discover in Genesis chapter 3 that in order to fix sin, in order to cover sin, it would take a sacrifice. In other words, something had to die. It would take a sacrifice. God was saying that it would take blood to pay for sins. It would take death to pay for sins. And starting in Genesis and then uh, throughout the Old Covenant, God lays out his plan for how sins will be covered. You know, all of those Old Testament, Old Covenant sacrifices that are mentioned early in the Bible and carried throughout the Old Testament, those were um, a fix for sin. Those were a fix for sin. It looked like this in the Old Testament years. 
the people would sin. They would then sacrifice and they would get forgiveness. Pete, sin, sacrifice, forgiveness. Sin, sacrifice, forgiveness. Repeat, sin, sacrifice, forgiveness. Repeat, sin, sacrifice, forgiveness. Year after year, month after month, sin, sacrifice, forgiveness. And they, that was their life. You see, that sacrifice was a temporary fix for sins. All part of God's plan. That temporary fix was even part of God's plan. And because we were slaves to sin, those people, the Israelites, they had to become slaves to the law as well. And again, that was all part of God's plan. It was all part of God's fix, even though that was a temporary fix. But, but it was all leading to the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate fix, the one sacrifice for all time to cover all sin. Now, if that's going to happen, one sacrifice for all time to cover all sin, that is going to take the biggest sacrifice ever, the biggest sacrifice that could ever be imagined that's what it would take. The biggest sacrifice possible. If God was going to pay for our adoption, if God was going to pay for our freedom to buy us back from slavery with one giant payment, one giant act, if God was going to do that, and if that payment was death, then it would take the ultimate death to pay such a cost. That means this. The ultimate death, God would have to die. It would take the death of God himself to pay for the adoption of every person has an inherent problem. But there's a problem. This story has an inherent problem that we can't overcome. And the problem is this. God can't die. God can't die. So in order for God to die, God had to become a man. The creator had to become one of his creation. And he did. And his name was Jesus. Completely God. And at the same time, I don't understand it, I can't explain it, completely God, but at the same time, completely human. And Jesus paid the cost for our adoption. And he paid it with his blood. God's blood now. He literally bled for us as he was tortured beyond the point of recognition. And then that final act of torture as Jesus was placed on those 
trees fashioned into a cross. That execution place. And on that cross, his lungs filled with fluid and Jesus, within three hours, drowned on the cross. That day, God died a torturous death to pay for our adoption. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 describes that. It says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Verse 4, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles. That's us, anyone who's not a Jew. God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing that he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. As if this horrible death was not great enough, Jesus did more than that. Jesus took upon himself the actual curse of my wrongdoing and the curse of your wrongdoing and the curse of the wrongdoing of the entire world, Jesus took it upon himself. Every single person who's ever lived, Jesus took that curse for them upon himself as only God could do. Now that is a huge cost that Jesus paid for our adoption. And it's easy to move right past this next thing, right past it. But I, I want to take just a moment to highlight this as we're drawing closer to an end here. We're not there yet, but we're getting close. It's easy to move right past this. Jesus paid for our adoption. And as part of that payment, there is an ongoing, continual sacrifice that Jesus is making throughout eternity. The New Testament, the New Covenant describes to us how God humbled himself. The new covenant came a man. I, I just want to take just a moment to, to say this. The new covenant describes to us this God that we worship. And he's described as God the Father. And, and God the Son, and that's Jesus. And then God the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one that God sends to the earth now. And indwells, lives in, lives through those who are followers of Jesus. Now, God describes himself as three distinct and separate 
beings, but yet God is described overwhelmingly from the Old Covenant all the way to the end of the New Covenant described as one God. That is beyond our understanding. We just have to admit that. Every analogy that we use to describe a God that is three in one, it is inadequate. I've heard them all. They're inadequate. They break down. We have to admit we don't understand how one can be three and they're one. Separate but one. Jesus paid for our adoption. This part of God called Jesus. And it says that God humbled himself and became a man. That is Jesus. The limitless God put on the flesh and blood of man. And it was not just a 33-year costume that God put on while He was here walking on this earth. It was not a costume. It was not temporary. Jesus, God, became man. And He, Jesus, is still fully a man. Blows my mind. The God who put on flesh is also a man. Now we have trouble understanding the sacrifice involved in that. Sacrifice that Jesus made for us. So let's just try to imagine just a moment that sacrifice that Jesus made for us to become a man. God becoming a man. Here's how it was described to me, and it made so uh, much sense to me. I want to share it with you. What if today you died, and you go to heaven, and God the Father takes you, and He takes you on a tour of the cosmos He created? And oh man, you're blown away by it all, as we would be and as we are. But then he takes you to the far, far, far corner of the universe. And he says, he says to you, look over there. Look at that planet over there. And you take a look and you're like, wow, dogs. It's full of dogs. <laughs> cool. Oh, that's cute, God. That's cute. Where are we going to go next? And God says, no, 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 no. It's not so cute. And as you look closer, you realize, oh, it's, it's not so cute. I mean, they're snarling and they're growling and their sharp teeth are out and they're baring their teeth and there's saliva stringing out of their mouth. Foam is coming out of their mouths. And you're like, whoa. That's bad. God, they're all infected by rabies. That's nasty. And God looks at you and he says, I love them. I love them. And you're like, you do? Well, well help them, God. Then why don't you help them? And God says to you, they won't listen to me. The only way I can get them help is if I will send someone to them, to be with them, to live with them as 
one of them. That's why I brought you over here. Dogs are sick. Let me get this straight. You say, those dogs are sick, and they're bloodied, and they're fighting, and they're devouring each other, and you care about them, right? And you have medicine that will help them. And God says, "Mm mm-hmm. And you can't connect with them because you're so awesome and you're so big. God says, right. And somebody's got to become like them in order to relate to them and share with them. And God's like, "Mm mm-hmm. And that's why you brought me here? Yeah, I, I want you to become a dog. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> um, and God says, and, and not just any kind of dog. We're talking chihuahua here. Want me to become a chihuahua? A chi- you mean, God, you want me to become a chihuahua? A chihuahua? That's right. Humble and meek and lowly of mind, bug eyed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, there's something else God says, something else. Um, when you talk to them, they're not going to listen to you. In fact, most of them are going to viciously be antagonistic toward you. In fact, They're going to sink their fangs into you, and they're going to rip you apart, and they're going to kill you. Wait a minute, God. You're saying, I'm going to become a chihuahua, and these dogs, that you have medicine for them, and you care about them, but they're going to turn on me? And they're going to sink their fangs into me. And they're going to shred me to bits. God says, yeah, that's that's right. You got it. They're going to kill me. Yes, 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 they are. But after that, he says, after that, I will resurrect you from the dead. But God says, it's not that simple. Hang on. You see, you will then be resurrected into a glorified chihuahua forever. You will be resurrected and glorified, but you will remain a dog throughout eternity. Now, I know that's silly. But what if that happened to you? I mean... You'd probably say, Father, listen, I appreciate your compassion and all, but you're barking up the wrong tree here. But that's what happened to God. That's what happened to Jesus. That is what happened to our Lord, our leader, our love, our hero, our king, our friend. That's what happened to him. That giant step down 
that Jesus took for God to become like us, a man. And to dwell in this body and to die in this body and to remain in that body like us. Because today, Jesus is still totally human. Glorified, but human. A hundred percent God, and yes, still a hundred percent man. Jesus is locked into this body, this that he took forever. The step down that he took to become like you and me. A step that is far more radical than you or, or I becoming a chihuahua. Because this was God. This was God. Listen to how Luke describes it in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After this, it's talking about Jesus. This is the last moment that Jesus was on this earth. After saying this, he was taken up into, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white robed men suddenly stood among them. And here's what they said in verse 11. They said, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. How did he go? He went up with a human body. And he sits right now at this moment in the presence of God. God in the presence of God. Blows my mind. And he sits there in his humanity. And he will return the same way as you saw him go into heaven, Luke writes, in his humanity. And this morning, as the band makes their way up, it all comes down to this right here. Look at the price. Look at the price that he paid to adopt us. Look at the price that Jesus paid to adopt us. And it makes us want to submit to him. It, it, it makes us not just want to submit to him, but in that submission, it makes us want to follow him anywhere. It makes us want to give him our all. And that's where we end today. This week, I'm simply asking you to do this. Will you recognize the cost, 
the cost of our adoption? Will you recognize the cost? And the only way it can benefit you is if you take this next step. You respond to that cost with submission. And you say to Jesus, Jesus, I give you my all. Jesus, I submit to you. And then, will you respond secondly with worship? Will you respond with worship? We're getting ready to worship him right now as we sing. Will you respond with worship? And then as you leave here today, will you respond to this Jesus who paid the price, the cost of our adoption by worshiping him this week with every decision that you make everything that you do is either worship of him or it's worship of you will you respond to him this week by worshiping him and this morning if you're submitting to him for the very first time saying Jesus you paid the price and because of that I'm submitting to you this is what we describe it as making Jesus the boss of your life and if you're doing that for the first time today will you please let us know on the back of your connection card because we have information that we want to get to you very nice the cost Let's res- will you join us? Let's recognize the cost. Let's respond with submission. And let's respond with, with worship. Let's pray right now. God, you sent Jesus to buy our freedom. You sent him to buy our freedom because we were slaves. You adopted us so that we could be your very own children. And Christ, you recognized recognized our struggle and you came to rescue us from the curse that was pronounced by the law. When you were hung on the cross, you took upon yourself, Jesus, the curse of our wrongdoing. And Father, through Jesus Christ, you have blessed us. Because now all who are believers... All who follow you, we receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith as your adopted children. And may we recognize the price you paid for ours. And may we respond we respond by submitting to you right now. And may we respond by worshiping you with every decision that we make this week, Jesus. We pray this. In your name, the one who paid the price for us, Jesus, amen.